Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And guys, it is officially time with the team in training camp, with uh, them closing in now under four weeks until the start of the season. It is time to officially start previewing the different sides of the ball. That's how we're going to have to do it this year. Last year, we went position by position. We won't have enough time to do that this year, unfortunately. Yeah, we're not in, we're not in a position to do. We unfortunately have legitimate jobs this time. Did you just um, ignore my joke? That was terrible, so I'm just moving on. That was about as terrible as our offensive line play a year ago. So, so uh, I will have... We'll we'll have to see whether we can make uh, a good enough adjustment uh, moving forward. But I for for right now we are just going to focus on sides of the ball. We're going to focus on the offense, uh, and it's the side of the ball that I think has the most question marks. But strangely enough, is probably the side of the ball you feel most confident in. It's it's a weird way to phrase it. And look, we'll start with the position that everybody wants to talk about. I was toying with fi- finishing the edition with this, but I feel like we really want to draw the listeners in right away. Well, they did that when they heard my voice. Well, yeah, that's they they heard your lying which, voice. Which, yeah, by the way, that's, that's uh, cool. Josh Marlowe, co-host of the pod, uh, wasn't here for last week's like 18 editions. 18 editions of the podcast. You wish I had 18 editions. Um, why, I don't know. Uh, I got reviews that said that it was better without you. That's so. probably not, not, not a lie. Yeah. Um. You know, we're just hey, we're we're just trying to bring more satisfaction, more consistency to the podcast. That you know, because we're sort of like this team. That's that's what we're ultimately striving for. Um. But look, unfortunately, big part of it was that neither one of us were able to go to the scrimmage on Saturday. We we had hoped that we would be able to go. 
Um, but yeah, you guessed it, work. So unfortunately, we weren't able to go up there. Um, but look, we, we are in that stage now where it is time to officially get you guys prepared for this season. All of those thoughts of last year, and look, we'll of course reference certain elements when you're previewing these different positions, but it's time to turn the page on 2021. That season needs to be behind this team. It's one that you need to use as motivation, but it's something that you can't really focus on, Um, and part of it is because of some of the guys that are gone, and that quarterback position, I talked about it, the most important position on this team Uh, They have a battle for that starting job, and it does not seem like this is going away anytime soon. Connor Harrell, he was a guy that looked to be in the race, at least from everything that the coaching staff was saying Mm -hmm. back in the spring. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. It seems like he's going to be your solid number three. In my article that I wrote previewing the position, my phrasing was maybe a little bit confusing as to whether or not he was still on the roster. I went back and and was reading it before I posted it, and even when I reread it, I just for some reason didn't see it that way. Um, But I did clear that up a little bit on there. I went back and edited it to make sure that you guys know, look, he is still very much on the roster. Um, He's just settled into that number three quarterback spot. And I think that really shows the depth of this room. That, That guy... You saw him in the spring game. There is talent there. There's a reason he's here, and he has a ton of potential. But this is down to Jacoby Criswell and to Drake May. And look, remember, we got a preview of this last year in the game against Wofford. So we've we've seen these guys a little bit. Now, granted, that is an FCS opponent, but team starts the year against an FCS opponent. So uh, we'll have to see. You know, at this point, I think this is – one of the more interesting quarterback battles in recent memory for Carolina. It, it probably goes back to uh, not the most recent one, but the one prior or, well, actually two prior to that because you had the very famous Nathan Elliott versus Chad Surratt quarterback battle that we all love to talk about so much. Um, but before that, of course, Marquise Williams, Mitch Trubisky, that was a battle that carried into the season um, you know, so in general, I mean, what do you, what are your thoughts initially out of the gate on this quarterback battle? Like, wh- where did you stand on this quarterback battle heading in, and has that kind of changed a little bit? No, because I, I think you no, know, when we got out of spring ball, I think the anticipation was this battle was going to linger into the start and maybe through the entire uh, length of fall camp. And I don't think five days later that I don't think that thought has changed. Um, I expect to see both quarterbacks to play in the opener because I think that this staff wants to see live game reps to really determine who their starting quarterback is going to be. I think that's the biggest reason why there's questions on offense. I think if they knew who the the quarterback was today, I think we'd be very confident this offense could put up points and, and yards like they've done under Phil Longo in the past. I think they can do that with either quarterback, whether it is Jacoby Criswell or whether it is Drake May. I I do think when it's all said and done, I think Drake May is going to be this team's starting quarterback. I just don't know when that's going to be. I'd prefer that to be in the Florida A&M game at the absolute latest, the App State game. Um, But, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I think it says a lot, as you mentioned, about the fact that this is still going on, how deep and competitive that room is, how mm-hmm. much talent exist in this room in this competition compared to the the last competition as you referenced between 
Nathan well, Elliott and Chas Surratt. Well, the last one was, of course, Sam Howell, Cade Fortin, and Jace Reuter. But uh, the, the, I don't know the, if that was a competition. I think when Sam committed, they were just like, and unless you F it up, you're going to be our starting quarterback. I mean, no, I think it was legitimate in spring. But I think that very they knew pretty early on just from seeing the way that he threw the ball, the work that he was putting in. And, and I think, you know, it's a different scenario this time. I don't think, I mean, if you look at where those guys were back in 2019, Cade Fortin and Jace Reuter, the incumbents, as opposed to this year's incumbents to this race, Jacoby Criswell and Drake May, I think Jacoby Criswell and Drake May are head and shoulders better than those two guys. And I think it's shown. I mean, look, no, no offense, Cade Fortin's gone on. He's, he's kind of struggled at South Florida uh, to really latch on at their quarterback spot, which is not really all that difficult to do. That team is not good. And for Jace Reuter, he's been a backup at North Texas. So I think, you know, Carolina is – they've got more talent in this room, and we knew that. That was one of the big things that they had to do – this staff had to do when they first came in – and took over the starting uh, or or the head coaching gig, um, and 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 the coaching overall was that they had to find a way to get a deeper quarterback room. Yep. And they've done that so far. Um, you know this the battle to me is interesting. I think most Toriel fans probably wouldn't admit it. A lot of people, I think, maybe I don't know, maybe not after that Wofford game last year. Or maybe so, because I thought Drake May was the better quarterback. I felt like a lot of people thought this battle would be over in favor of Drake May at this point already. If you go back and look in November of last year, I think a lot of people would have said, oh yeah, Drake May is going to win this job. There was a lot of confidence about him. And I think a lot of people sort of I'm undervalued, I'd be, I would guess, uh, would be the best way to phrase it, the fight that Jacoby Criswell would put up, and I mean, look, he's got more experience in this in this offense. His mm-hmm. his body is more mature than Drake May's body is. That's something we really talked about when we saw him in action last year, and that matters. There, there, there's something to be said about you know having experience in the offense, even though Criswell hasn't played very much, and having that body ready to go out and play in 12 games and take the amount of hits the quarterback position has taken with the yep. offensive line. The last couple of years, I don't think this is anywhere. I don't think this is something where Mac Brown is doing this out of respect or anything. I think it is just they've got two oh, yeah, really good quarterbacks, and he's trying to figure out which one is the quote unquote best one to lead them week in week out. But we also know, and we've seen it during Mac Brown's tenure, whether it was here in Carolina in his first time or when he was at Texas. If he feels like the two quarterbacks system gives him a bet the best chance to win. He's going to play both, whether we agree with that or not. Well, here's the thing that's that's really dangerous about that. I feel like in the past you could you could use those two quarterback systems to your advantage. I think there were even times where it wasn't really that bad up until really the turn of the last decade, I would say. Um, but once you got into the 2010s, and especially now in the 2020s, I feel like it's pretty much impossible to run two quarterbacks. You just you just cannot do it. The the rhythm of your offense is going to struggle. And I think honestly you wonder about the mentality of a lot of these guys if they have to share the quarterback mm-hmm. position. It's not the same. I mean, look, you're right. And Mac Brown has referenced this. It's worked before. Hell, the best season in Carolina history, they played two quarterbacks. 
Chris Kildorf and Oscar Davenport switched on and off. So it's worked before, but it's a recipe that if you're going to execute it, you have to be pretty much flawless. And I will say this, if they run the two-quarterback system, and this is not a slight at Larry Fedora, but I feel like I have more confidence that Mac Brown will run it better than he did because he has said multiple times, we will go with the hottest hand. The problem that I felt like Carolina had when they ran this the last time, which was back in 2014, was that they didn't use that mindset. The mindset was we are trying to split the reps evenly and see which guy is the best. That cannot be your mindset. Your mindset going in, if if for some reason you have to use two guys, has to be roll with the hottest guy at this point, and then we'll see next game, we'll see the next week of practice who stands out. Yeah, I feel like there's just more overall trust in Mac Brown this offensive staff to where if that's the route we want to go, they want to go because you and I want them to have a starting quarterback separate from from rotating. Right. I, I I just do feel like there's more general trust in this staff that they'll get the most out of it and, and do it in the correct fashion as opposed to, as you mentioned, when it was Williams and Trubisky, it was you get two drives, you get two drives. Then I mean, alternated. we had guys getting pulled out after touchdown drives yep. to where we were yelling in the stands, what, what are you doing? Like, what? this doesn't make any sense, including my father, who yells at everything. But still, I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you, we had a bunch of people. Um, so you said that you think both guys start against Florida A&M. Yep. If you had to say right now, what about App State? Do you think both guys start that one? I think my my heart wants to say no. My head says yes, and mm. my heart gets me in trouble too often, so I'm going to go with my head. And I, and I do think we'll take two quarterbacks to that, that game, that environment, and I don't know if that's going to be the best recipe for success. That's going to be one of the toughest road games they play in this season, mm-hmm. one of the toughest road games they've played in since Mac Brown came back to, Ch- to to Chapel Hill. So I, I would like to hope that after Florida A&M, we have a clear-cut starter, but that is an FCS opponent. That game should be wrapped up at halftime. I don't know how much you're, gonna, you're really going to learn about either guy. So I do think when they go to Boone, both May and Creswell will be on the field. Well, if they're battling, I think here's the one thing. that You will not see a lot of Harrell, Boaz, oh, man. Maybe Russell Tabor, the walk-on. You won't see those guys in that Florida A&M game if this battle's still going on. They are going to try to use that as a chance to get as many reps on paper to try to decide that battle before the next week. I My answer to this question, it's a two-parter because I, I did put Florida A&M and then App State. I, don't, I think there's a starter, a clear starter for both. And I say that because I heard Mac Brown talk about the quarterbacks last Thursday when he was at ACC Media Days. There was a lot of talk about two quarterbacks. I went and listened to his first press conference on uh, Friday of this past week when they started fall camp. Completely different mindset. He was asked about the timeline that they were potentially using. He said, we, we had a similar, you know, we had a timeline with Sam that was about 10 days out. We'd like to use that again. And he talked about them putting as much pressure, which he said that multiple times. But it just seemed like there was a different feel like this is now, he, he's, he is looking for one guy. And I think what that is, 
Phil Longo seemed to be the guy pushing for that. Hey, we need one guy. Whenever he would reference it in the spring, we're trying to find that one guy. So I think ultimately they will have one of those guys. I'm going to be the guy. I, I'm the guy that right now is probably the opposition to a lot of people. I think Jacoby Criswell wins this job. And I think it's because of what you talked about earlier. It's the maturity in the system, a system that, by the way, probably fits him a little bit better right now, especially what they've done the last few years uh, than Drake May, because who uh, I've gone back to this multiple times. Who was Jacoby Criswell's player comp from 24-7 when he came out of high school? Sam Howell. So it's it's a guy that literally fits exactly what you just had. Um, and I think he's he's got a body style. Carolina, look, they are not going to run the quarterback as much as they did last year. That's hope nor not. should they. That should not be the strategy. But using the quarterback's legs, especially in the red zone, is going to be part of the equation. And the other part is, look, and we're going to talk about this unit here in just a second, we don't know how good this offensive line is honestly going to be. We, we don't know. So it could still be you know, a quarterback who's taking a lot of hits. We have to wait and see. And I think that Jacoby Criswell is better built for that. The best way that I've sort of summed this up, and I, I don't know if he's going to have that same type of season. I look at him as a similar type of guy to Marquise Williams back in 2015. He's a guy that I think could come in and can do enough for you offensively with some of the skill position players that can take you to that next level to give you an offense that can, in my opinion, it could win the ACC Coastal if your defense can back it up. I'm not going to be surprised or disappointed if Criswell wins the job. I think the expectation... I'm not going to say should have been or should be that he wins the job. I'm not going to be surprised. The reason why Eileen Drake May is kind of the same reason why Sam Howell won the job when he he battled for it his freshman year. It's the intangible things. It's it's the little things that that you know that that don't show up that really matter. The ability, excuse me, the ability to to make things out of nothing. I like his arm. He's got to learn. You know, he can't take the hits. Kind of like Sam still has to learn. He can't. He, he can't take the hits. That's why I think long term he's the starter. I think though, I would trust Criswell more going to App State than I would Drake May. So mm. if 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 they're still battling when they go to App, I want I want to see Criswell because I don't think Tar Heel fans are quite understanding just because it's a noon kickoff. That that environment is going to be it's it's going to be a spectacle. It'll be oh no doubt. It'll be one of the it'll be one of the biggest moments, not just in the history of App State, in the history of Boone as a city and a town. I mean, are there are there other like great moments in Boone history? Like I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I'm you not probably, brushed up on Boone history. You'd probably have to ask Daniel Boone or eh. Luke Combs. Uh, it's it's Luke, it's, Luke Combs, it's, who is a Tar Heel basketball fan, by the way. I do want to point that out for the App State homers. It's it, it's going to be one of those things. So when oh, it comes yeah. to that game, and you know, with with the jobs that we have, we have to we have to deal with that fan base. Um, I want to beat them as bad as I want to beat other teams in the state. I would much rather go into that game with Criswell as my quarterback than Drake May. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's multiple reasons. I mean, that's that's one of those games I've already sold you. I said it, or no, I don't think I said it on here, but I said it 
on air at, at, at WFNZ. I think that is one of the most important games in Tariel football history because that will determine the direction of this upcoming season, which I think is one of the biggest ones that, that we've seen in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Because, as you've mentioned, and I, I love the word that you've used, it's a crossroads season. You have to figure out what direction this group, this this coaching staff is going. Is Mac Brown taking this thing in the right direction still, or do you have to start looking for that next guy? So, yeah, it is going to be extremely important, and, and, and having some veteran guys could definitely help. One unit that does lose a lot of veteran guys from last year, but that it could ultimately help in a weird way, is the offensive line unit. Mac Brown has talked a lot about this unit so far early on in fall camp, and he did a lot of talking about this group back in the spring as well. He really likes what he's seeing from these guys. And again, look, this could be just compared to last year, which means that if they sh- if if they have a pulse, then they're actually better than they were a year ago. But at the same time, it feels like there is legitimacy behind this. And look, Carolina loses four or five starters with Kieran Johnson, you know, just a couple of weeks ago announcing that he will not play his sixth year. But they still have some experience. Corey Gaynor comes in as a transfer. Spencer Rollin just entered as a transfer from the FCS level at Harvard. Um, and you've got a couple of other guys that they probably feel a little bit more confident in now than a few years ago, a la Awesome Richards, Ed Montillas, and William Barnes. So it's a weird unit, but strangely enough, I feel sort of confident about where this unit is at. Not to mention Jack McNeil Jr., ton of experience at the college level and the NFL level, is their coach. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're what you're losing in experience shouldn't be under undervalued. But you could make the argument that this group from top to bottom with the transfers, with the recruiting class, with the coaching staff, it's a more talented, more deeper unit than a year ago. And sometimes you just need a fresh start to certain units. It, it it happens. It happens even at the NFL level. There are just times where no matter how much experience you've got or just what you think is overall talent, sometimes you just need to shake it up. And so, you know, I think when when we and I know you said we got to turn the page on last year, but when we when we when we got so frustrated last year, I don't think it was from a lack of talent that we thought existed on the line. It was more of a lack of execution and a lack of production, which we thought deserved more blaming on the coaching staff than the player. So now you add in a guy that is a proven offensive line coach, not Mm -hmm. just at the highest levels of college football, but he's coached offensive linemen in the National Football League. That stuff matters. Yeah. And and when when you have the type of talent that Mac Brown has gotten here, because like with the quarterback, when he got here four years ago, he knew, look, we got to build the offensive line talent up. We got to get the depth here because it didn't it didn't exist when Larry Fedora was was let go, you know, four years ago. Mm-hmm. They they've done that. The talents here, the depth is 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 as is, is as deep as it's been maybe since Butch Davis and Co were here on this offensive line. Yeah, you've got a quality offensive line coach. So I think this unit is poised to bounce back, and it's really going to be the biggest difference. in is, is this offense good? Or is this offense what it's what it's been the last couple of years, which is one of, if not the best offenses in the ACC? Yeah, and and, and I think it, like you said, I think they definitely have the talent to do that. That was you're right. That was never the problem a year ago. 
It was the coaching. And and that's one, again, you, you said it just a minute ago, and I said we, we want to move on from last year. But I do want to point this out. Mac Brown said this on Friday of this past week when he was talking about the offensive line unit. He said that there were times last year where there were guys that were just worn down and they wanted to put a backup into the game, but there were certain situations that certain guys were not allowed in the game for. They had it pretty much, I guess, laid out, written down, whatever, that so-and-so off the bench, Kieran Johnson off the bench in a scenario or whatever, could not play on second and eight inside the red zone. It, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And this the, the approach is completely different. Jack McNell Jr. is a guy that Mac Brown has said he wants guys to train at multiple spots. We are seeing a bunch of guys playing guard tackle, playing center guard. Well, there's that that are playing a combo of positions so that hey, if somebody goes down, we can throw one of these guys in or if a guy is if a guy is struggling out there cuz he's tired, let's put in one of our backups. There there's not there's not a correct way to value how important position flexibility on the offensive line is. Do you want to have a center, your center? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you want to have your left tackle? Yes. But if you can have other guys on your roster that you can move in and out and among that offensive line and the level of play does not deteriorate, that's, that's what we don't really, when we look at offensive line play, we don't talk about that enough because broadcasts don't really highlight that enough if an offensive lineman's being moved around or not. There's there are programs that they do that. That that they're that deep, they're that talented where they can move guys in and around that line to keep them fresher, you know, to whether they're wanting to attack a defensive line in different ways and stuff like that. So the fact that they're now making that a point of emphasis because they've got the talent and the depth to do so, you should allow this offensive line to get to a point where they haven't gotten in years past because they they weren't they weren't built to do those certain things the first couple of years. Well, they're going to be built like an NFL offensive line because Jack McNell Jr. has said that the reason why he likes so much position flexibility is because at the NFL level, you run into those scenarios where guys go down and you have to just plug and play guys because the rosters are thinner. You don't have 15 offensive linemen in a room that you can pick from to try to replace a guy if they go down. You have a select number of guys that are on the roster, so guys have to know how to play multiple positions to give you your best five, and that's the most important thing for Carolina. You mentioned the depth, and I think it is growing. I don't know if it's at that spot where Mac Brown wants, which is to have a full two deep. I think there are some really good guys there. I'll say this. I think there are six guys that have a chance to start on this offensive line, and it's felt like a while since we've even said that. Um, but there are going to be battles going on on the right side of this offensive line. Right guard, um, which I think will probably end up coming down to William Barnes or Zach Rice. I think it depends on what Zach Rice does at tackle. And then you'll have Rice probably battling, potentially William Barnes out there as well, battling with Spencer Rolland, who came in. That was the position he played at Harvard, was right tackle. And they're hoping he can kind of 
slide right in there uh, and adjust to playing at the FBS level pretty quickly uh, and and start out there for them. But those, I mean, you've got six guys there. And look, you've got some good depth. I'm, I'm still waiting on Jonathan Adorno because he was a guy that had to put on a lot of weight. He's been pushed around at times. Caden Baker, remember he started a game at center last year, but he's yep. a guy that can play tackle, so he can play all over. He provides some versatility, and it seems like they're pretty pleased what they've seen from him. And then another guy that surprised the staff in the spring, and I'm be, I'll be interested to see how much they talk about him as the fall goes along here. Trevion Green came in and made an impact early on as well. Big-bodied guy, that wasn't the thing that you were worried about with him, um, but you can see that a guy that had an extra year at the prep level level to sort of get his body right it is really helping him and he also another guy that's moving all around he's playing guard and tackle for Carolina so it's good depth I think they've still got a little ways to go but this is the deepest this unit's been in a while right I mean it, it it's definitely been just because I mean Larry Fedora's staff basically neglected recruiting that position and I'm not it's, it's which a hyperbole. made no sense because I thought that Chris Kapilovic did a really a good, good job. With, line coach. He did a good job with the guys he had, but you're right. Towards the end, especially, it really tailed off. So, you know, when, and I mean, like, this offensive line isn't built to do the same things that they were when Butch Davis was here because it was two different offenses, but that was a NFL esque offensive line. That was kind of what they were building towards because Butch Davis was trying to build his program and the image of what he's done in other places that rivaled NFL type of teams. So, it should be no surprise that that's what Jack McNeil's wanting to do with all his NFL experience, but you know, there's no denying. Even though it's not, it's still not where the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Oklahomas of the worlds are, this is still the deepest that we've seen in quite some time. Mm-hmm. And it's as talented as we've seen in quite some time. And if this offense has done what it's done the past couple of years with average or above average offensive line play, what's in store for this offense, even with the new quarterback, if you're getting really good, consistent offensive line play. This guy could be the limit. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, look at the success of the running game behind offensive lines that have been iffy to terrible. So, I mean, that's that. if you can get an offensive line that is consistently good, yeah, watch out. Um, starting five along the offensive line, I'll go first for mine. I think Awesome Richards at left tackle, clearly. Ed Montillis at left guard. I'm glad he gets another opportunity there, and I think with maturity he'll be better than the first time. Corey Gaynor, the veteran at center, coming over from Miami, um, and they've talked about his, his leadership ability. Just He has been outstanding so far, supposedly in spring and fall. Uh, right guard, I'll go with William Barnes. I think he fits the guard spot a little bit better. Um, I think that's the one that's probably the most questionable though. I think he'll be a guy that if he struggles, you'll see Zach Rice or somebody come in for him because ultimately I think Spencer Rolland, the veteran guy that has 20 career starts at right tackle, I think he comes up and wins that right tackle. Job. I'll go everything for you except give me Rice at right guard. I, I, okay. I, I do feel like um, I, I think that guy's motivated because I think there was a lot of talk about his recruitment, whether he was going to stay committed or not to Carolina, given off the down year. He does, of course, stay at Tar Heel, and I think he's – he he's a big part of a big vocal change of, the, of hopefully getting this program being what we want it to be and what it should be under Mac Brown. I think he'll be a motivated guy, and I, and I do think he'll be a true freshman starting on that offensive line. Uh, yeah, I think either way, I think he has a pretty big role. But uh, yeah, he he definitely has the opportunity. Let's move to the running back. One thing though, if yeah. he does start when he 
put somebody on their butt. And instead of calling it pancakes, can we call them rice cakes? Well, no, but well, yeah, okay. That's that's actually pretty solid. He does have he wore this when he uh when he came to campus uh for I don't know if they were at the time commitment photos. I think they were just uh they were just visit, may have been his official visit. He has a ch- a go- a chain, a pancake chain that he wears. So he does have that. He is, I mean, I mean, I do want to clarify: pancakes are better than rice cakes. I would just rather refer. to I would them, hope so. I'd rather refer to them as rice cakes than pancakes. Considering that the combined weight of this show is about a metric ton, <laughs> uh, yes, I would assume that we should, they should know we like pancakes instead of rice cakes. Um, let's move on to the running backs. Th- this unit, look, I, I, there's there's a there are definitely questions here. But it's hard for me to not feel confident in the success of this room when they have gone three straight seasons without having a running back finish with less than 900 yards in this backfield. Um, that that was a main starter. Like these guys, the guys that play a lot in this backfield, the guys that are revered as these starters in this backfield put up numbers. Mm-hmm. This offense has proven time and time again as I mentioned, behind a questionable offensive line, that they can make it work. British Brooks has to step up and take over as a leader in the room. That's that is a lot for a guy that was a former walk-on, but he's a guy that if you go off of his last three games at the end of last year, he looks like somebody that can handle that role this season. And I don't think the leadership is what you question with him. Um, but he's going to be your guy. And then after that, there's pretty much five guys battling for reps behind him. Yeah. And Mac Brown has said, look, I want to have three guys back there. Um, so, you know, where where are you at with this running back room? I, I, I don't think it's as star-studded as it's been in the past few seasons, but for me it's, it's hard to really be overly concerned because any time that we've wondered – can this group have success? They always seem to find a way. This is probably as uneasy as I've felt since 2017, 2018 among the, the running back group. Just because like, I like what British Brooks has done and can do. But I think that was just a unique scenario where the dude ran hot for three games. I don't know if that's sustainable over a season. Um, th- this is, this is going to be th- – this position group – has to take or they they have to steady the same amount of production, especially early on as they're breaking a new quarterback. And I don't know today if they're as capable of being able to run the ball like we expect them to, and as they should, because as I tell you, I've told you guys since Phil Longo got here, as beautiful as the offense is when it's throwing the football around the field, this is a run first offense. I don't know right now if they have the two to three guys right now that we can count on to tote the rock and do so successfully. So um, I think it's going to be something where it's not it's not a lack of talent. I think there's abundance of talent that exists in that room. It's just I'm not sure who are those other those other two to three guys along with British Brooks that are going to emerge to keep this offense being able to run the football the way we wanted to and expected to. Well, see, I'm not really that concerned about that because I think the talent in this room is outstanding. My concern in this room is health because we've seen DJ Jones over the past two years. He's shown flashes. 
But what happens every time that he shows flashes? He gets hurt. Yeah. He's been on and off the field with injuries. If he can stay healthy, I feel pretty confident that he can bring you enough as your second, maybe your third guy. He needs to improve on on his yards per carry. It was 4.2 last year. He had some games where he really struggled to do some things. But, again, it, it, it will go hand-in-hand hand with what the offensive line does. You need the offensive line to step up with you know some guys that don't have a ton of experience back here. Um, after that, again, Another guy that's been banged up a lot here early on. We saw Caleb Hood early last year. Saw him in that game against Virginia, and we thought, man, this guy this mm-hmm. guy looks good, man. He's running hard. He's a guy that can run inside the tackles. And then he got banged up, and we didn't really see him the rest of the year. Uh, and then again in, in spring. He didn't play in the spring game because he, he got banged up. And some of the stuff is, is freak. There's no doubt about that. And uh, the injury that he did suffer – uh, was a rib injury last year that that was much more severe than I think they realized at the time. Um, so, I, I mean, look, there's there's definitely some questions back there, but I think the talent of those two guys, I think Elijah Green took a huge step in the spring. He looked really good in the spring game. Um, the thing with him is they were always talking about is he a guy that can pass protect? Is he a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield? Because he didn't have to do that in high school. Well, he looks he looks like he's starting to grasp some of those things. And the other thing is his speed might be too hard to ignore because there's nobody on this roster that has the speed in that backfield that he does. Carolina needs guys that can hit the home run plays. Heck, Ty Chandler's ability to do that last year was a big part of the run game's success because there were times where he was struggling to grind out yards, but mm. he would hit that big play and change the game offensively for Carolina. So – that could definitely help. And then the two true freshmen, the upside is all, all, is off the charts for them. Uh, Petaway was in camp with the guys back in the spring. You know, I, there was a lot of talk about him. I saw him in the spring game. He was a little quiet, but I, I there's definitely a lot to be excited about with him because, look, he, he has a lot. He draws a lot of comparisons to what Michael Carter did for you. And that's hard to ignore. And he's a guy that, you know, also in the Under Armour All-American game, and it it, it's, it seems like this is something that Carolina could look to do as well because he did it at the high school level. He can actually split out and play in the slot. You don't have a lot of guys that can do that. So that's a that's an attribute. The versatility back there could allow him to factor in. And then Amari and Hampton, here's the only thing you need to know about Amari and Hampton. When I turned on his film and when other people did too, the first person that they saw was Javante Williams. It's... That's pretty self-explanatory. He comes in as a summer enrollee, so it's going to be harder for him to make an impact than Petaway. But I think that if you give him time, and if there are still questions here, remember when Javante Williams became a factor his true freshman season. It's that final game of the regular season back in 2018 against NC State. So there's always a possibility that the door could be open for those guys. If you had to say, who do you think out of those two in that room, who who do you think emerges out of that group? I'm going to go with the two non-true freshmen just because, like we talked about with the quarterback position, um, they've been in the offense more. Their body is more mature. But Petaway's ability to be moved out into the slot, I do think will be something that, that Phil Longo will experiment with early. That's something we talk about with Josh Downs moving him you know, all over the field next year, mm-hmm. and you still got to find a way to reproduce that production in the slot. So give me DJ Jones and Elijah Green, but I do think those two, two freshmen, true freshmen, 
while they may not be impactful players this year, I think going into the next year and beyond, they're the future of that running back room because their comparisons are to Carter and Williams, two guys that two years ago ran all over the entire country. Yeah, and again, they might not be those guys, but there are a lot of elements that are very similar to that. Um, I'm going to go with, I think, DJ Jones, no doubt. Oh, and you, you said the two. So who do you have, DJ Jones and, and Caleb Hood or Elijah Green? Elijah Green. Elijah Green, okay. Yeah, um, I – I, I kind of want to go with you because because I raved about Elijah Green. I thought he looked great in the spring, and I'm hoping that he is continuing that here early on in fall camp. But I'm going to go, I, I think DJ Jones, the veteran, there's a reason why that guy was picked ahead of some of these other guys in this room to be that number two back even early on last year. I mean, he played significant reps early on in the season against Virginia Tech. So it shows you how high the coaching staff is on him if he can stay on the field. And I'm going to go Petaway, man. I think there's just so much upside. There's so much talent. And the versatility with him I think will will be very attractive. So I, I think he'll be the other guy in there. Let's move on to the wide receivers here, and we'll wrap it up uh, You know, after that, um, our, our talk about the offense. First of all, with Josh Downs, I mean, there's not really much explaining here. One of the best wide receivers in the country. Unfortunately, he's in school at a time where there are three or four other once-in-a-generation wide receivers <laughs> that are in his playing in college football right now. At one school. So, I mean, yeah, Ohio State's doing <laughs> pretty well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's really the thing. I think any other year he would probably be – the number one or two receiver on most list of returning guys. He's like number five or six because mm-hmm. the guys that they throw up there, you're like, yeah, I mean, they got an argument. So, uh, But he is an outstanding player. Like you said, they want to use him kind of all over the place. And they should. I think they should, too. I'm interested to see what he looks like. And look, for, for people saying, well, does he have the size to play on the outside? Look, man, go back, watch Devontae Smith, and you tell me whether or not size – is the is the ultimate determining factor it doesn't for guys always on the matter. outside. I mean look, if if you you should know that best. If you <laughs> can run if you can run the right routes to free yourself up, that you're you're starting to see more of these smaller technical guys that are making their impacts felt on the outside. So I, I mean I think it's certainly possible. Um and I think look the the if Mac Brown what he's saying is is right, which I, I think he is that it makes it more difficult for teams to bracket him, then you need to do it. Because there were times late last year where teams were able to take him away, you know, to a certain extent. I mean, he still had an unbelievable finish to the year, but they need to find ways to be more creative. Yeah, because no doubt. you got to imagine, especially with Carolina breaking in a new quarterback, they're going to try to make the other guys beat them. Mm-hmm. And, and so they've had, you know, a whole offseason to study tape, film, and, and look at how other teams – try to take them away, and Carolina's got some stiff opponents early in the season that will be able to limit his production early on. So I'm interested, though, and I want them to move him around. Mm-hmm. But I don't want them to be too cute about it. And by that, I'm not saying put him in the backfield or something like that. We always wanted that, like with Ryan Switzer, where it was like, you know, just get him as many touches as possible and use him different ways. And I do think I want him to be used in a lot of different ways. But, but don't be cute about it. You still need to protect his body because he is a smaller receiver 
who, you know, you know, one big kid, and we got questions about who's going to catch the football. So I am excited, though, to see how he duplicates this production without Sam Howell at quarterback because, as you mentioned, if Ohio State's receivers weren't generational-type receivers and mm-hmm. if Jordan Addison wasn't you know, going to USC to, to probably put up even bigger numbers than he put up last year, you could have made the argument he was the best wide receiver in college football. You could still make the argument. I mean, first half of the year, I think he was right there with a lot of those it's, guys. It's just a lot tougher because there are just so many great wide receivers that yep. exist in the spread era of football. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, I, you know, ultimately what I would like them to get to, and maybe not use them as much running the football, but it's it's becoming a fad. Find your Debo Samuel-type player. And I could see him being that guy eventually. But, we'll, we'll, you know, it, they need to get creative to get him the football because, yeah, the focus is going to be take away Josh Downs and make other guys beat you. I mean, I know there's still question marks that exist all about, about this wide receiving core, rightfully so, but the talent level that exists in that room in this offense where it, it, it's, it's not a – I'm not making a knock about it, but it's a it's a wide receiver-friendly offense. The, route con, the routes aren't very hard to pick up. You, you know, you can kind of freelance and do what you want to do. They've got enough talent there that and if the offensive line holds up and that right quarterback is there, mm-hmm. you can see two or three guys emerge because this is as deep and talented a wide receiver room I think we've ever seen at Carolina. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And then you throw in the tight ends as well. and I Which mean, need to be a bigger part of the offense, breaking in a new quarterback. Which I think they will. There's been a lot of talk about that over the years. Uh, We need to use the tight ends more. We need to use the tight ends more. Well, here's the thing. I think, frankly, they have no choice now because we saw, and it was another guy, that first half of the year was really good. And I think, in part, this was because, you know, as good as he was, I think Sam stopped looking for Kamari Morales. He, he He was outstanding in the first half of the season. And he is going to be a threat for Carolina moving forward. They need to utilize him. And then, you know, you talk about Bryson Nesbitt. Last edition of the podcast, we talked to Deems May, and he said exactly what a lot of us are thinking. He deeming a breakout year for him? He, yeah, great one. He, he is a guy that can factor in in the red zone. How many times were we trying to make primarily Brandon Fritz, that jump ball guy, <laughs> throw it up to him, go get the football? That's what Bryson Nesbitt can do. And the thing to me that makes Bryson Nesbitt interesting and makes me think that they are going to use more guys, you know, more of the tight ends this year. They started Bryson Nesbitt as one of the outside receivers in the spring game with the first team. This dude is unbelievably athletic. Mm-hmm. They can use him in so many different ways. So again, we come back to versatility. That you're going to have to use these guys more, and I think they will. But back to your point on the depth of the wide receiver room, look, we need some guys to step up. There's no doubt about that, and last year you didn't have that from the group of true freshmen. But Kobe Paysauer has been talked about a lot this summer. We heard all about him at Media Day, so I think that they are kind of pleased with what he's doing. Um, He's another guy that we've heard they can move sort of all around. They play him in the slot a little bit, but they will play him outside a lot as well. So being able to have that type of guy out there with Josh Downs where you could even keep the same personnel but switch him and Downs in terms of outside-inside would be unbelievable. That would create so many different mismatches 
That, I mean, that would be great. You got J.J. Jones, who I feel like a lot of people are kind of looking past at this point because he had a quiet first year, but he has a lot of potential. He has the the speed to win those deep balls. And then it, the guy that is being talked about the most after Saturday's practice and even after Friday's, they were there a lot of people were pointing him out as well. True freshman Andre Green Jr. is getting rave reviews. This dude can go up and get the football. We knew that from his high school tape. And that was one of the first guys that Mac Brown pointed out when talking about this wide receiving core. So there's a lot, there, there's a lot of young guys here that I think we might not know their name now, but I think a few weeks into the year, you're gonna start knowing some of these other guys. I in my opinion, I feel more confident with this receiving core this year going into the year than maybe even Maybe even last year, even though we felt pretty confident in in Brown and Simmons. Yeah, because I mean, I think you know they're they're more experienced for obvious reasons. They've got more, um, you know, more more time in the system. Their 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 bodies are you know, much more year mature. And I just I, I just feel like they're they're too talented to not make plays on the football field in an offense that is designed to have wide receivers at your disposal make the plays. And you mentioned the way that they can make they can create a lot of mismatches and stuff like that. See that's that's something that the first couple years Phil Longo didn't have to scheme that type of stuff because you had Diane, you know, Deami Brown and Daz Newsom. Mm-hmm. Those guys were gonna make game changing plays. You weren't having to scheme mismatches. This year you may have to because you've got a, a different quarterback and you've got to break in new running backs and stuff like that. But you've got the guys that can do that. And, and that'll be something that, you know, we can maybe look at Phil Longo this year as a guy who is somewhat auditioning to be a head coach at some point in the college football ranks. So I'm with you. I, I'd, I'm much more confident this year just because I, I love the talent. I love the depth. I think they're going to use the tight ends more often. And you guys know mm-hmm. me. I'm a, I'm a big fan of a good tight end. So I, I do think <laughs> yeah, that, you are. That, I do think, you know, that'll be more part of this offense. And it may not be – as explosive as it's been in years past, I still think it'll be as efficient, though, as it has been in years past. I, I still think there are some guys that are going to be explosive on this team. They are There are some guys that will catch people off guard. Um, but I'm with you, and I think the big thing here is the experience depth. That's the biggest thing here, is that a year ago, it was pretty much Choffrey Brown and Emory Simmons, and that was your experience depth. Everybody else was extremely young and had pretty much never played. And look, there still aren't a lot of guys that have a ton of experience in this room, but you've got guys that now have been in the system for a year or two that are going to be in there if you need them, and I think that's huge for these guys. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to let you hear this ad, uh, this week's ad from DraftKings, and when we come back, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some guys that are on some award watch list. We're going to have to go through a bunch of them here uh, that they have received over the last week, week and a half or so. So stick around for that right here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Football fans, join the next generation of fantasy football with Rainmakers Football, their first ever NFT fantasy game from DraftKings. It's the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Now you can play all season for millions in prizes by building the ultimate NFT franchise. Right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. Playing Rainmakers is simple. 
buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more, just like daily fantasy football. Build your NFT franchise and enter free Rainmakers football contest all season long to compete for millions in prizes. The next generation of fantasy sports is here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Sign up with the promo code TPPN, click the Rainmakers tile, and opt in to get your first card free. Plus, play for millions in prizes all season long while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers Football. That's promo code TPPN. Build, play, win. Only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe here with you. Let's get to those closing notes. And as I mentioned, we are going to uh, just run down some of the watch lists that uh, these Carolina players have landed on here recently. First of all, shout out Drew Little for a watch list that a lot of people maybe didn't know existed, the Patrick Manali watch list for long snappers. Uh, he gets the shout out there. Ben Kiernan. The, the starting punter or presumed starting punter for Carolina still haven't received an update on uh, what Mac Brown sort of hinted to as a battle uh, back in the spring with Cole Maynard. Uh, but Ben Kiernan lands on the Ray Guy watch list, of course, for the best punter in the country. You've got uh, Miles Murphy on the Ben Narek uh, watch list as well as the Outland Trophy watch list. So uh, the Ben Narek watch list best defensive player in college football, the Outland Trophy, best lineman uh, on either side of the ball. They have one for the offense, one for the defense, so uh, he's in that, the running for that as well. And then you've got Josh Downs, named to the Walter Camp Award watch list, which is given out uh, usually to uh, the best player in the country. Typically, your Hodgman Trophy winner is one of those guys that is – the favorites to win that uh, and then the Bolitnikoff award best wide receiver in the country again he's got some stiff competition but this guy certainly has the talent to be able to win that award uh, so that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast guys make sure you head over to the website heeltoughblog.com bunch of stuff up there position previews are rolling out as we speak so all these positions that we just talked about I break them down even more on the website head over there check that out uh we we encourage you to uh you know re- really go in depth on those because it gives you a good look at what the roster what we think the roster is going to look like plus I put up the projected depth chart uh, at those position groups at the end, so uh, there could be some surprises there for you guys if you go and check that out. Uh, also, recruiting side of things, we're keeping an eye on Kevin Concepcion, a four-star wide receiver in the state. Uh, he is going to make his announcement on August 6th, uh, this upcoming Saturday, so make sure you guys are checking all that stuff out, heeltoughblog.com. Come follow us on the social media pages at Heel Tough Blog on Facebook uh, or just search it in the search bar Heel Tough Blog. Also, make sure you head over to Twitter at Heel Tough Blog on there and then you can check out our personal pages at HTB Anthony for me, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh, and at Hack Zubber 2 for our recruiting guy Zach Hubbard. And of course, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate the rate and review, but the key thing is that you are subscribed 
subscribing so you don't miss an edition of the podcast. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Torians.